I chose this uh, hymn. I know some of you are thinking, I think we sang that hymn a couple of months ago. We did. We did sing that hymn a couple of months ago. I chose that because I thought, we are five days away from a new president. <laughs> and it would be good for us to keep having these words in our head. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. To keep those words in our heads because next time we all gather together, next Thursday, we will have a new president. And it's going to be good to remember the God who has been our help in ages past will be the one who is our help in years to come. And as we look at these verses this morning, there's an amazing connection between what we're seeing in our political realm and what's happening here in these verses. And you're going to see that come out. I mean, we, we want someone who is a, a wise ruler over us. And one of the things that that uh, concerns us, no matter where you land on the whole political spectrum. In this election, one of the things that concerns us is, are we going to have someone who can really lead with wisdom? And as you look at what the Bible has to say about wisdom, the reason we're concerned is because we're looking at our choices and saying, I don't think either one of them is leading with biblical wisdom, uh, that their common grace has not been in their lives. In fact, I would actually say that, that there's something going on there that, that is worldly wisdom. And as we look at those things, I think we're very tempted, aren't we, to, uh, to look at other people, to look at political candidates, to look at people outside this room and say, yeah, you know what, they're not operating with, uh, with, with true wisdom. They're operating with worldly wisdom. And totally miss that the reason we gather together here this morning is not so that we can critique the outside world. The reason we're gathered here this morning is so that we could look at our our own lives, our own hearts, that we could look at at ourselves and and, and reform ourselves to Scripture, to see what God's Word has to say so we can deal with us. (laughs) And so I would encourage us this morning as we go through these things to remember this isn't about trying to to look outward, outside this room, and, and see how we can critique what's out there. This is really about our hearts. Uh, We're sitting here this morning in humility to say, God, do something in me. Change me. Develop these things in me. Let's read these uh, these few verses together from James chapter 3. James writes this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast at... Excuse me, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. Great verses for us to be challenged by this morning. We're going to see three things about this wisdom. And the first thing we're going to see is that our wisdom is identified by our conduct. Our wisdom is identified by our conduct. One of the things that uh, you may have heard me speak about before, it's fascinating to me, that in Western culture, so Western Europe, in the United States, in the last 50 or so years, Francis Schaeffer actually 
uh, Christian philosopher, was one of the first people to point this out. There seems to be a growing disconnect between what we know and what we do. That it's, it, that it's completely fine to have a belief, to have a philosophy, to think about things, but then not to actually act on them. That kind of, that kind of separation is completely foreign in every other part of history and even foreign in every other part of the world. It's only in Western culture that we, that we think it's okay to, to have these, these things that we say we believe and yet to act in a completely different way. And when you look at the Old Testament word to know, to know something, to be knowledgeable of something, the Old Testament word to know always has connected to it to be responsible for it. So to know something is to be responsible for it. Which is why you see in the King James, when it talks about uh, sexual relationships between a husband and a wife, it says he knew her. And you think, well, that's, <laughs> what, a, what a weird way to say that. Well, it's actually connected to that idea of, of being knowledgeable about, about her is to be responsible for her, to be connected. And so to have knowledge in the Old Testament was to be responsible for it, that, that, it, that it would cause action that there actually would be conduct that would come out of that. And so how does that apply to our, uh, our wisdom or the wisdom we receive from God? Second thing we see there, uh, letter A, biblical wisdom is knowledge applied. Biblical wisdom is knowledge applied. A couple years ago, uh, my older son, Ben, uh, had decided that he was going to go teach English in Southeast Asia. And uh, so he had signed up uh, with this program, and, and we were headed to the airport, driving from Chattanooga to Atlanta. I have uh, family in Chattanooga. We had stayed there the night. We're driving to uh, Atlanta, the Atlanta airport. I was going to put him on a plane to, to fly to Thailand. And he asked me a really interesting question. He says, Dad, do you think I'm wise? Which I thought was a great question for uh, you know, a 24-year-old, 23-year-old at that time. And uh, I remember saying to him, and it just came out of my mouth just like that. I said, well, I said, well Ben, uh, wisdom is knowledge and experience applied. And I remember as soon as I said it, I thought to myself, wow, that's pretty smart, Todd. <laughs> I wonder where I got that. I mean, I really, I thought, this is where I got it. You just... You hang around the Bible long enough, you hang around other godly men enough, and you recognize this is just what comes out of Scripture. That uh, what wisdom is, is not just having knowledge, having experience, having something to say. It's not just having something to say. That's not what biblical wisdom is. Biblical wisdom is actually living it out. Taking the stuff you have and living it out in your life. That you apply it. And so, yeah, so all of that was, I was thinking, I'm, there's probably some godly men in my life who hammered that home. Maybe my own father said that several times. The second thing we see about our conduct uh, there in uh, verse 1 is this. Biblical wisdom is demonstrated in humility. Biblical wisdom is demonstrated in humility. Let him, it says in the verse, let him show his works by the meekness of wisdom. Meekness, of course, my favorite uh, definition for meekness is uh, power under control, uh, power directed in the right way, um, not, just, not just loose. And so what it's saying there, biblically, is this, there's a humility in the way we deal with the wisdom that we have. Now in James' time, when he's writing this, the, uh, the, the Greek philosophers, 
the Roman philosophers, the rabbis of that time, if you were someone who was considered wise that other people approached, you were not required to be humble. In fact, it was expected of you to to go ahead and boast, to to boast in yourself, to be arrogant. So when James is writing this, it's, it's, it's counter when he says it needs to be in humility. True biblical wisdom uh, it's demonstrated in humility. That would have been counter to that. Well, it's counter to our day as well now. I mean, we're, we're a society where education is a huge deal. And, and, and the more degrees you have, it's, it's a supposed that then therefore you should receive greater respect instantly and it's fine for you to walk in with your chest out, your head held high because you've got multiple degrees. And what God's Word is saying to us is, no, true wisdom is demonstrated in humility. That if you really have this knowledge that's applied, if you really understand uh, what it is, how you're supposed to conduct yourself in life, then you don't need to go around puffed up. You don't need to go around uh, putting yourself higher than other people. And so what the writer here is saying, what James is saying here is, this wisdom that comes from God is not just a knowledge, but it's actually a way that you conduct yourself in life. So a man of God who has wisdom uses that wisdom to navigate things in life. He's going through life and he understands God's word and he's applying it to his life. That's why I started this whole thing to say, hey, this isn't about critiquing the philosophy of the world right now. This is about looking at our own hearts so that we can walk out of this room and we can walk in wisdom. and We can really live it out. Well, the second thing that we learn from these verses, in verses 14 through 16, is this. Worldly wisdom produces a disordered life. Worldly wisdom produces a disordered life. The crazy part about that is it seems to offer something better. So while the Bible is saying that, I think we have to acknowledge that when you look at the way the world deals with conducting itself in life, there's a lot of things in there that we're tempted to lay hold of because it looks like those people are successful. In fact, one of my favorite things you see in in the book of Psalms, when the psalmists are crying out to God about their frustration in following God and being obedient to God, uh, Asaph in Psalm 72 says, "Uh, God, I I feel like it's, it's in vain that I've walked in your ways. Because I look at people that don't walk in your ways and their life is going great. In fact, he, he starts the whole first part of the psalm saying, you know, things are going well for them. They don't have any worries. It even says, they look good. <laughs> and then it says, and people listen to them, and they're telling lies, and people are buying into it. And Asaph says, God, what are you doing? It seems like I'm obeying you, but it's a waste of my time. Because they're not, and everything's going right for them. I think we have to at least admit that to ourselves, that, that the reason we're tempted to, to, to grab a hold of worldly wisdom is because we don't immediately recognize that it produces a disordered life. We actually look and say, gosh, there's some things there that I think I'd like to have if I pursued life like those men pursue life. But the truth of God's word is worldly wisdom produces a disordered life. How does that happen? Letter A, worldly wisdom is self centered. Verse 14, look what it says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
Now, we see the words bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and you know, right away we're like, oh, those are bad. Those are bad things. But let's think about them in terms of kind of the world out there. And let's, not, let's take away the word bitter, and let's think of jealousy in a different way. Jealousy and ambition are often, in culture and the world, used as, as a drive to succeed. And so when you look at those things, you can shape them to be something that, that you think are valuable. You know, we, you look at those athletes last night in, in the game, and you say, gosh, a lot of those guys, the reason they've succeeded is because uh, they've looked at other people and thought, I've got to get better than that guy. I've got to have what that guy has. And then they've, they've focused on themselves to drive to get to that point. And we see that in the world. And that's tempting to us. But it's a self-centeredness. And the self-centeredness in the world, in world's wisdom, it makes sense. They would say, no, you've got to look out for yourself. If you act in humility, if you follow this different path, you are just going to get stomped on. You've got to take care of yourself. We recognize worldly wisdom is is self-centered. We've got to be God-centered. We're going to look at that in a second. But that's the reality. If you and I are drifting into self-centeredness, we are drifting into worldly wisdom. And we need to catch ourselves. The second thing we find out about worldly wisdom is that worldly wisdom is in opposition to God. Verse 15 says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from heaven, that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's a pretty uh, (laughs) condemning triad right there. James says, first of all, that, uh, that worldly wisdom is earthly, meaning, meaning this, that it doesn't consider anything beyond this earthly realm. So worldly wisdom doesn't consider the existence of God, the existence of, inter- of eternity. And so you and I rub shoulders uh, with men and women like that where uh, they don't believe in God, they don't believe in eternity, and so the way they conduct themselves in this life, their wisdom is based solely on an, an earthly perspective. But then it goes on and he says it's unspiritual, meaning it's natural, it's, it's, it's fleshly, it's self-focused, it's self-gratifying. So the whole point is, well, listen, if I don't believe there's an afterlife and I don't believe in God, then I've got to grab whatever makes me happy at this time. And we've all seen that certainly in our culture right now, that is the driving force. The driving force is what's going to make me happy right now. And so even the way we define marriage, the way we define sexuality, the way we define what is truth, the way we define uh, even speaking truth to another person, another business partner, is now defined by what makes me happy. What, What is going to bring me happiness in this situation? And happiness is raised above all those other things. It's unspiritual. It's focused on the flesh. It doesn't recognize anything coming from God or a requirement that we ought to acknowledge that things ought to be done for God rather than for ourselves. And as a result of that, if you deny the existence of God, and then therefore you've focused on your own happiness, your own gratification, you've played right into the hands of the devil. You've played right into his hands. This verse in particular uh, has been for me a good reminder of just uh, of the gravity of my sin. I never thought about this, but uh, 
you know, to, to tell a lie is actually to do something demonic of the devil. To, uh, to cheat someone is actually to do something demonic. And generally, we just don't want to think about that in those terms. I, mean, I don't. You know? I want to go, yeah, I sinned. I made a mistake. I did something I probably shouldn't. That's what I want to think of it. I don't ever want to think of it as coming from the devil. And the devil actually doesn't want us to think about it as coming from the devil. He actually wants to take himself out of the picture completely and just have all of us think that we're just making some mistakes, that we're struggling. We need to... He doesn't want us to think about him at all. Because if the truth comes to bear on our sin, I think it confronts us in a, in a more significant way. That's what James is doing here. He doesn't just say it's earthly wisdom. He doesn't just say it's unspiritual. He says it's demonic. And he brings out the truth. And so when you and I are, are navigating life with a knowledge that's based on what gratifies me, what helps me, how it helps me get ahead, we are actually doing exactly what the devil wants us to do. Exactly what the devil wants us to do. Well, let's go on. It says, uh, letter C, worldly wisdom brings destruction. Worldly wisdom brings destruction. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So, let's go back to our political situation right now. <laughs> Worldly wisdom, you, know, you look at where we landed and everybody's saying, how do we get here? How do we get here? How do we get to these two candidates? How do we get to this thing? And great, some great articles coming out of the Gospel Coalition and other things have helped us recognize what maybe many of you have already thought about. We got here because we actually walked down this road. We actually, we actually let worldly wisdom guide us for a really, really, really long time. And we just happened to be where the road was going right now. So as we pursue these things that are based on selfishness, on earthliness and all, it's just going to lead to this place of destruction where people are devalued. Where life is devalued. Whether it's unborn life or it's immigrant life or whatever. Those things it leads to a fracture of community. It leads to a place where if everybody's just grabbing for what they can get and then we're basing our morality on what makes us happy, um, it creates all this chaos and it creates things that, that, that truly hurt people. And that's, that's where this road is going. And at, at this part of the road, it doesn't seem that bad. I'm just, I'm just being kind of earthly. I just want to you know, look out for some things for myself. I just, but as you go down this road... You're just going to lead to a place of disaster. And again, it was, it was Satan's desire all along. That's how he does stuff in our life. He tells us at the beginning, it's not going to be that bad. Does God, you know, what, is this, what does he say in the, in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? That's what the serpent says. Did God really say that? And just getting Eve to doubt. Just getting to question. And going down that road led to a place that she never thought. She, if somebody had said, hey, you know what, if you go, if, hey, Eve, do you want to be in a place where you're cast out of the garden and, and you're rejected before God and you're shamed? Do you want to be? She would have said no. But that's not what the devil said. 
devil got her just slowly moving down. But this is where it leads. It leads to destruction. That's why we say worldly wisdom produces a disordered life. Well, now let's look at the grace that God provides uh, in verses 17 through 18. Number three, godly wisdom produces a centered and purposeful life. Godly wisdom produces a centered and purposeful life. Letter A, godly wisdom is a gift from God. It says at the beginning of verse 17, but wisdom is from above. We're going to talk about seven, seven dimensions of this, uh, of this wisdom. And it's important right here to just stop and think for a second. Okay, godly wisdom is a gift from above because this is what I think you and I would be tempted to do. We'd look at that list that's going to be there on page two, peace, loving, consider, I mean, well, the, the list of seven things that I'm going to give you, all that stuff. And this is what will happen. We'll have a tendency to walk out of this room and go, oh, yeah, you know what, those... those Number one and number four and number seven, I need to work on those. I need to add those to my life. And we would look at that as a list of virtues that we somehow need to to add to our life, to work harder in those things. And the reality is that (laughs) you can work as hard as you want and you're not going to really get there. You really need it coming from above. Or as one of my favorite uh, pastors said when he was talking about about, uh, about this passage. Imagine this. Imagine if I put up here a, you know, a, a painting by uh, Vincent van Gogh or Monet or something like that. I put it up there, right? And I, I said, guys, we need to learn to paint like this. All right? So next week, you guys work real hard this week. All right? You bring back your painting. Okay? You study it. You work on it. You bring back. Okay? And you guys bring back some paintings next week. And we're going to you're like looking at your painting, you're like, it's pretty good, I'm doing a pretty good job. Like, and you say, hey, Todd, you know, go ahead and look at this. All right, so I take your painting, and I put up the Monet, and I put up your painting right next to it. Right, and as this pastor said, all of us would probably start laughing. <laughs> because once you put it up to the Monet, you'd go, wow, you, you have, this, this dude has no idea how to paint. <laughs> this guy doesn't even know what he's doing. Listen, when you look at what is godly wisdom... This is coming from above. You're not going to be able to walk out of here and just add this to your life. But what's the good news in that? This is a gift from God. This reveals to us what we need, and that is a Savior. So the answer is not going to be, as we go through this list, boy, i got to work harder at those things. The answer is going to be, Lord, I am hopeless and helpless without you. I'm going to need, Lord, you to work these things into my life. I'm going to need to confess that I'm not those things, and I'm going to need your help with this. And I'm telling you, as it says right here in verse 17, this is going to happen. It's a gift from God. He is going to give you these things. It's a gift from Him. It's not just a list of virtues that you're going to tough it out and put on. So, moving on, verse, uh, letter B. Godly wisdom is untainted by worldly influence. Godly wisdom is untainted by worldly influence. It says godly wisdom is first of all pure and then it lists all that stuff. And it's a tendency as we look at it in the English to think that pure is a part of the list. You know that there's eight things on there and pure is the first one. That's not what it says actually in the Greek. What he says is godly wisdom is pure and then goes into these seven dimensions of, of pure wisdom which is what I put there. Seven dimensions of pure wisdom. So he says, first of all, it's pure, meaning this. It's, uh, 
It's morally pure, but it's also unmixed by the world. It's untainted by the world. So it's a gift from above, and it doesn't borrow from any culture. It doesn't, it doesn't borrow from culture. We're not, we're not being shaped by culture. Rather, culture is being shaped by God's Word. And that is why, in any place around the world, in any time in history, God's Word has always transcended all cultures, and always, at some point, offended all cultures. Because there is no culture that can contain everything everything true about God. That's another reason why we need diversity in our lives, we need diversity in our churches, because you and I finally cannot understand all there is to understand about God or about His Word if we're always with people of the same culture. (laughs) Because that'll that'll, that'll mess, mess us up. And so it's pure, it's, it's coming from above, and it's unmixed by, by human reason, by human thought. It's coming from Him. So what does it look like? Seven dimensions of pure wisdom. Number one, he says, uh, peaceable, I want you to write down peace-loving. I'm going to give you really what the Greek says here that's maybe more helpful for us to understand what we're talking about. First of all, peace-loving. This is the one in the Bible and a lot of different places that always bugs me. Because I really, really loved arguments. I love to win arguments. Um, I, was, uh, I was listening this morning to this podcast that, uh, that uh, I often listen to. It gives kind of the, the daily uh, news and what's going on. And one of the most recent things that happened, I guess, yesterday is that uh, Peter Thiel, who is the co-founder of PayPal, um, who is just this weird guy. I mean, he's a, he's a billionaire but he's just a nutcase. I mean, he just is involved in all kinds of weird stuff. And, uh, and Peter Thiel um, apparently has decided to give, and I mean, he's like a lib, like he's liberal, you know, like he's, you know, real involved in the LGBTQ community. He's uh, real committed to all these crazy liberal ideas. Well, he just made this ridiculous donation to the Trump campaign, which of course all the liberals are just like, what? And, you know, and, and uh, in the New York Times article that ran yesterday, says that they, uh, uh, they want to banish him from certain boards, like the, the, the Facebook board and all that, and, and all that. And of course, and everything in me, right, because I love arguments, I like to, I don't want to be peace-loving. I want to talk to all my liberal friends and be like, see, you guys aren't tolerant. You know, like the, the second one of your own decides they're going to do something over here, you're going to banish them. I mean, that's literally what the New York Times used, the word banish. I was like, Wow banish you know and everything in me wants to like stir up a fight with someone I mean I actually thought of three people on my ride in that I would love right now to say hey have you heard this you know send them a little email just a little jab right because I want to stir that up that's my that's my bent to do that but look at what it says I, I want you to turn over in second to second Timothy to a few pages back second Timothy chapter 2 you know, in this, uh, in this political season, um, and, and the way culture's going right now, these, these verses have been just my guide. They've been, they've been from me, from God, to Todd. Todd, you've got to pay attention to this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at what it says in verse 24. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, Ugh, okay. But kind to everyone, kind to everyone. Ugh. 
able to teach. Okay, I'll do it. Patiently enduring evil. Really? Correcting his opponents. I like that part. But look what it says. With gentleness. With gentleness. It goes on and says, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Good reminder, Todd, it's not your job to beat them into repentance. (laughs) You wait and trust the Lord. You're gentle. You're kind. You're not quarrelsome. That's what I think is happening here with God's wisdom, with biblical wisdom described in James chapter uh, chapter 3 there uh, in verse 17. Peace-loving. Peace-loving. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean we avoid conflict. Notice there, in, uh, notice there in, in 2 Timothy, it doesn't say that we don't correct. It doesn't say that we're not involved. It says that we do so with kindness. We avoid, we avoid being quarrelsome, but we're not afraid to teach or to correct, but we do so with gentleness. So peace-loving doesn't mean you just avoid conflict. But peace-loving means that in the midst of conflict, you're looking to bring peace. You're looking to bring uh, some, some place of resolution there. You're not looking to stir it up. That's what biblical wisdom does. It's, it's peace-loving. Secondly, it says gentle. Literally, the Greek says considerate. So write considerate. It's considerate. Or you can write forbearing if you want to. That's what it meant when Timothy said patiently enduring evil. So James says that biblical wisdom, if you and I are operating as the men of God in life, that we are first of all going to be peace loving. Secondly, we are going to be men who actually bear with people. We actually actually put up with more than the average guy. And we're, and we're patient in that. Just, and we reflect what the Lord Jesus is. It says that our Heavenly Father is patient. He's forbearing. He's not quick to anger. And He's considerate. You actually consider other people's pain. What, is, what does that look like? How does, how does that display itself? Well, you know, the reality is that if there is someone um, acting, one of your friends, one of your acquaintances, if they're acting with jealousy, if they're acting with selfish ambition... If they're, if they're just acting in, in an ugly way, I, I'm almost positive that that's coming from a place of hurt and insecurity and not from a place of superiority. People that actually feel good about themselves and comfortable in themselves, they don't act like that. But people who are hurt, who are wounded, are ones that do that. And what I've found so many times in life that when I've taken time to consider what's going on in that person's life, and I've taken time to learn about them, I've realized, okay, yeah, I, their behavior, it's not okay. But I'm understanding that their behavior isn't personal towards me. It's actually a woundedness in them. And I can be, consi- I can, I can be forbearing. That's what God's wisdom does. It's, it's, uh, biblical wisdom is consider its forbearing. Number three, and this is probably my favorite on the list, open to reason. And that actually is translated, uh, I think, great in our ESV Bibles. That godly wisdom is open to reason. I found this quote, I love this quote, it said this, there's a difference between being sure of what you think and having your mind made up. I love the term reasonable. 
Reasonable means open to reason. And if we are going to be men of God, we've got to be men who are sure of what we think, but not having made up our minds in things that are not essential to life. So it means you're, you're, people can reason with you. Actually, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite things. I think, I think some of you would think this isn't true about Sandy Wilson, that he's open to reason. He actually is. He, you just have to wrestle with him more than the average guy, right? <laughs> but I, it's one of the things I lo- I've loved about him for, for ever since I knew him in college. And I've loved working closely with him. Uh, and, I, you know, he's going to hear this anyway, so it's, it's fine. I'm not speaking behind his back. Uh, if he were here, I'd say the same thing. We've talked about this. Um, you can challenge him, and you can, you can really say, listen, this isn't, this is the way, this, I don't think you're looking at this right. He'll challenge back. But all the while, open to reason. It's been a great example in my life of, of what that looks like. Um, and, I, and, I've, and I've watched him be challenged and change his mind because he's been open to reason. He's been willing to say, I'm going to receive the wisdom from God above. I don't, I don't have to just be the smartest guy in the room and try to prove who I am. I actually can be open to I think that's huge for us. I think it's very important for us. Fourthly, says that godly wisdom, biblical wisdom, pure wisdom is full of mercy. Full of mercy. Remember biblically that grace is defined as getting something that you don't deserve. But mercy is defined as not getting something you deserve. So whatever punishment it is you deserve, you're not getting it because of mercy. And God's, God's word tells us over and over again that we are to be men of mercy. We are to offer mercy. This city should know that the men in the churches in, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, are men of mercy who, who don't require that everything all be fixed in order for us to, to, to give mercy to people, to, to actually not uh, rain down upon them the judgment or the wrath that, that, that they may deserve or the consequences that may deserve, but that we would be men of mercy. And Jesus talked about this. You remember that that lawyer in Luke 10 comes to Jesus and says, uh, what do I need to, to do to be saved? And he says, you need to um, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And if the lawyer were smart, he would have said, thank you, Jesus, and would have walked away, but he didn't. It says, wanting to justify himself, he says, who is my neighbor? Bad move. Uh, Jesus then goes on and tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a pretty shocking and countercultural story for this guy. And basically he says to him, listen, anybody who is half naked and half dead, I mean, is naked and half dead by the side of the road, that's your neighbor. Have mercy on him. Well, what was the guy doing when he asked the question, who is my neighbor? What he was trying to do was he was trying to draw boundaries around who he actually had to have mercy on. That's what he was doing. He didn't want to have to have mercy on everyone. That's why it says, wanting to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbor? He wanted to draw boundaries on who he had to have mercy on. We have that same tendency, don't we? Yeah, we'll be merciful. I, I just want, I want to know where the boundary line is. Because I don't want to have to be merciful to everyone. No, the wisdom of God, the pure wisdom of God, is full of mercy towards everyone. Number five, full of good works. There it says good fruits, fruits or works. Either one, either one would work here. 
but it's our, our deeds, our good deeds. First Peter talks about it. Hey, you're sojourners, you're strangers and aliens in this world, and uh, you're going to be persecuted, but you go ahead and let people see. Let this world see your good deeds and give glory to your God in heaven. So we walk out of here. We want to be men who are known for doing good. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was someone who was known for doing good. That was part of the controversy. He was going to all these towns and he was healing people and he was doing good, but what he was teaching was upsetting and there was this conflict. But you couldn't deny this guy was actually caring for people. That's what godly wisdom does. Number six, says in our Bibles, impartial. Um, literally, the word there is without uncertainty. And the idea here is wavering to popularity. Wavering, your, your godly wisdom does not change its mind based on people pleasing. Godly wisdom, we don't navigate life as people pleasers. We are merciful. We are open to reason. We are peace-loving, we are considerate, but we're not people-pleasers. We don't waver as a result of that. And then number seven, it says sincere. And I actually love this too. The, the, the Greek word is anopokritos, which sounds exactly or close to unhypocritical, which is actually where we get the word unhypocritical, anopokritos. So it's without hypocrisy, that godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. And this actually just goes right back to what it said at the very, very beginning when he says that our wisdom is connected to our conduct. You don't just have knowledge, but you have knowledge in action. And it's what bothers us again about our political situation right now. So you have one candidate who's actually said that you need to have a a public view, a public opinion, and a private opinion, has said that. And we've all kind of gone, huh, like it's almost okay. We have another candidate who says, hey, don't, it doesn't matter what my, what my words said. You don't, don't focus on my words. And you're going, huh. <laughs> Godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. There's not a public and a, and a private opinion. There's one. You're the same person in private that you are in public. The words that come out of your mouth reflect your heart. You're the same person. And we recognize that as as godly wisdom. And then where does this go? Where does this all go? It says, see, verse 18, godly wisdom brings restoration. Godly wisdom brings restoration. One of the things that I think is, is so fascinating and encouraging about Jesus Christ grabbing a hold of you men, of me, is this. That the mission that Christ had, think about this. Jesus was only on earth. Jesus was only on earth for for, uh, earthly ministries. On earth he was about 33. But he was only doing ministry on earth for three years. That's the length of his ministry, three years. And then he left. And when he left, he left the ministry to his disciples. And he left the ministry to his disciples' disciples and so on. So now the ministry of Jesus Christ has been left to every guy in this room. And the ministry of Jesus Christ is redemption and restoration in all areas of life. 
So it ultimately has to do with people and souls, the redemption and restoration of souls, but it also has to do with the redemption and restoration of economy, the redemption and restoration of the workplace, the redemption and restoration of medicine, the redemption and restoration of banking, of teaching, of education, all of that. That's what God, you walk out of this room today as his uh, mission bearers, bearing the mission of redemption and restoration, which is totally connected to this wisdom. You need God's wisdom to be that guy. And it says there in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And you think of the words of Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9, excuse me, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Now before you go, I want you to give me five minutes because I'm going to give you four bonus points on how you get wisdom. All right? It's not up there, but we got to know, right? We got, we got the wisdom. It's a gift from God. Okay, how do I cultivate this in my life? Quickly, four bonus points here. How to get godly wisdom. Number one, fear God or be in awe of God. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The starting point for godly wisdom is to be in awe of who God is, which makes sense because remember that worldly wisdom begins with this idea that there is no God. It's just earthly. So the starting point of godly wisdom is to be in awe of who God is, to actually, you know, when it says be fearful, you, you guys understand what I'm saying. It doesn't mean to be afraid of him in, in like that you're terrified of him, but be afraid in the fact that he is awesome and that he is in control. Number one, fear of God. Number two, Christian conversion. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that the unspiritual man cannot know the things of the Spirit. They're only revealed by the Holy Spirit. So godly wisdom can only happen if you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've invited Him into your life. You said, Lord, I surrender everything to You. I need a Savior. I give my life to You. Please come in and change me. Be Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit in that moment comes on you. And now you can understand the Word of God. You can understand the things of the Spirit. And godly wisdom is being developed in you. You can understand these things. Number two, conversion. Number three, reading the Word of God. You know, the, uh, it was said of, uh, I, I guess he, he probably still, uh, or it probably still something that, that uh, carried him all through the end of his life. Um, Billy Graham uh, it was said, had read a proverb a day, besides his regular devotion, read whatever proverb corresponded with the day. So it's November 3rd, he read Proverbs 3. So his whole life, whatever other Bible reading he did, he also read that chapter in the book of Proverbs. And if you, if you spent any time hanging out in the book of Proverbs, you see some of the most helpful things for navigating all of life, relationships, business, everything. It's unbelievable the wisdom that exists in there. One of my favorite Proverbs is, I'm going to forget the words where exactly it's found, but this is what it says. It says, uh, like he who grabs a dog by the ears is one who meddles in another man's business. Which is that whole, you know, Todd likes to stir up a fight and quarrel with people, you know. And basically it's God reminding me, Todd, when you do that, when you pick up, it's like you walking up to somebody's dog and just grabbing them by the ears like this. And we know what's going to happen. The dog is going to bite you. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> It's a great proverb. Knowing God's word gives us 
biblical wisdom. And finally, prayer. So number four, prayer. James chapter 1, verse 5, what does it say? You guys studied it a few weeks ago. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God, and he will give it to you. Those four things, be in awe of God, be in fear of God. The Holy Spirit is bringing these things into your life and your conversion. Study the word like you guys are doing. You're developing wisdom today. And just pray. When you walk out, pray all the time. I'll close with this. My, my, uh, my father is uh, a physical therapist. He's a physical therapy professor. A, a very, I would say, and I don't mean this uh, negatively. I actually admire this. Very simple in his faith. If God's word said it, he just did it. And so God's word told him that he's supposed to pray in all situations. He's supposed to pray for wisdom. And my dad is relentless about that. I remember, and this has happened so many times, but this is just one time. I was a senior in college. It was right around Christmas time. I was a little panicked because I didn't have a job yet. This is back when seniors in college actually cared about having a job. <laughs> and uh, I called my dad and I said, you know, I need, to do, I need to get this resume out. I need to do this. I need to travel here. I need to do... I, was, I listed all this stuff. I was panicked. And, I, you know, Dad, I just need some, give me some advice on, on how to organize this, you know. And my dad said, well, um, this first thing's out of his mouth. Todd, have you prayed about this yet? And I was so angry that he said that. Because I'm like, oh, I, of course, Dad, we, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. yeah, of course you're, no, Dad, give me the, give me the, pat, give me the thing we're supposed to do here. And uh, he said, Todd, you know, right now I just think we need to pray. Okay, I'll call you in a week, you know. <laughs> it doesn't always happen like this, but I swear for my dad, it seems like it always happens like this. Uh, I literally had, I literally had, I had two uh, churches, I wanted to go into youth ministry. I had two churches contact me in the next two days that I had never even, had, <laughs> ever even talked to, thought of, and had to call my dad two days later and said, okay, you're right, this prayer thing actually works. <laughs> Men, as you walk out of here today, as I pray for us, whatever you face today, you're going to face some, some small fires. See God's wisdom. Pray first. Before you pick up the phone, before you make a plan, before you go walk down the hall to your business partner and ask him what his advice is, just stop. And do what it says in James chapter 1, verse 5. Ask God for wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the beauty and the power and the truth of your word. Lord, we want to be shaped by it. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that works in us. We thank you, Lord, that, that this list that is tremendous uh, is, is undoable without the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to work hard when we walk out of here. Instead, Lord, we have to surrender. So help us surrender. Help us to fall back onto your mercy, to fall back onto your grace and to trust you today. Lord, help us to pray first. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.